We're going to be looking at two different passages of Scripture, both in the Gospels. Um, So you want to stick your finger in John chapter 13 and then turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be looking at these two places of Jesus' interaction with his disciples. Give ear now. This is God's Word. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. And John 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, You have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and had put his outer garments on and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you, If you do them, I am not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. This is God's word. I want to talk today about friendships. Do you have any good friends? Talking about really close, close friends, people who really understand you. 
folks who know what you think and even how you think. They know your struggles. When you get together, you have good conversations, right? You come away feeling encouraged, feeling uplifted, feeling understood. Friendships like this are amazing, right? They provide incredible support. They're a big solution to the problem of loneliness. You know, when you have a friend, you don't feel so alone. They give meaning and significance to life. Because without them, you're alone. Living in San Diego has been described as living in the promised land. Think about the weather, think about the stuff to do here, think about the beauty. It's incredible. People live here, and yet studies show that so many people who live here can't afford to live here. They can't afford the San Diego life. Uh, And then those who can't afford it don't have anyone to share it with. It's a problem. Um, We had one person from Harbor say, if you're single, not in a relationship, and sick of the bar scene, then San Diego's awful. Because there's nothing, there's, there's staying home is awful. There's nothing, nobody wants to do stuff alone. Now, the problem is that to have good friendships, they're costly. Right? Good friendships are costly. They take time, they take energy, they take understanding, they take patience. There's this give and take, and with this give and take, there is messiness. There's brokenness. People are messed up. You know, all those people out there that you know? I mean, how messed up are they, right? Think about all the people that you know, all these other people out there who are messed up, right? Right? Because we're all okay. Yeah, we want the benefits of the good friendships, but sometimes we don't want the costs. It's really funny how sometimes Jesus says, if you're going to preach something, you're going to live it to me. And uh, this last week, um, I got a call from our neighbor who's out of town, and he said, hey, you know what, we're out of town. Um, we're going to be out of town for a little bit longer. Could you water our grass for us <laughs> this week? <laughs> if you were here last week, you understand why there's some irony there. Um, I've been watering the grass in our new house because I couldn't figure out the sprinklers. And so, and so, you know, he makes this call, and I just kind of laughed to myself. I said, of course I will, you know, no problem at all. You know, but so... There I am, right? 10 to 15 minutes in the morning. <laughs> 10 to 15 minutes. And then now I'm walking next door, and there I am now in the other front lawn. And I mean, that's friendship, right? It takes time. It's inconvenient. But you do it because you care, right? Because you, that's part of being in a friendship. It's part of being in a relationship. You know, in one sense, it's, it's discipleship, right? It's being willing to sacrifice. It's... Um, We're talking about discipleship in this series. How do we make disciples, help people follow Jesus? And first and foremost, discipleship is about being a disciple of Jesus. Our first love is Jesus. But our second priority is to invest in Christian relationships. Our second priority is to invest in Christian friendships. Your spiritual growth depends on growing Christian friendships. Okay, other people's spiritual growth depends on your willingness to invest in Christian friendships. Okay, that's the second major part of Christian discipleship. Okay, Jesus was willing to take on both 
the, the good and the bad, the costs and the benefits uh, of relationships. His ministry, you think about it, his ministry touched thousands of people, and yet he chose and focused on 12, right? In the midst of teaching an entire nation, Jesus trained 12, okay? And so we're going to see in our three points today, uh, we're going to look at Jesus' relationships with his 12 apostles, and we're going to understand how these things help us with our second priority to invest in Christian friendships. Let me give them to you now. You can take notes if you want. Um, We're going to see first that Jesus was personally invested. Second, he personally served. And then third, he personally taught. So he personally invested, he personally served, and he personally taught. Let's look first at this point that he was personally invested with the 12. This is the Luke 12 or the Luke 6 passage. You know, he invested, Jesus invested in 12 people, in 12 people. And it's interesting because he did this because he needed to. Jesus could not do what he came to do alone. Ever thought about that? Jesus could not do what he came to do by himself. He needed the 12. He needed these 12. He came to save the world, but he could not do it alone. Okay, now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Double negative. Jesus did suffer for us once for all. Okay, he paid the price for our sins. Nobody helped him with that. Okay, Jesus did that on his own. But let me ask you a question. How did you hear about Jesus? Think about that, right? Someone told you. Friend, coworker, neighbor, family member. Someone told you about Jesus. How'd they find out about Jesus? Somebody told them. How'd they find about Jesus? Somebody told them. Somebody told them. Somebody told them, right? It's kind of crazy if you think about it. It all goes back to these 12 people. Paul said it simply in Romans 10, 14 to 17. He said, how can anyone believe in Jesus if they've never heard of him? That makes sense, doesn't it? How can anybody believe if they haven't heard? You have to hear the good news. And how can they hear if there isn't someone preaching? And we'd say if there isn't someone sharing. And then Paul says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Okay? Jesus needed these 12 people to further his ministry, to take it where he could not go. Okay? Jesus could not do it alone. And the point is, neither can you. You can't. You cannot be what God wants you to be. You cannot fulfill your personal mission from God alone. You just can't do it. You need the support. You need the encouragement. You need the wisdom of Christian friendships. Okay, so Jesus needed the 12. Good news is the 12 needed Jesus too, right? The 12 also needed him, and Jesus knew that. But it's also the same for you. You need to be growing Christian friendships for you, for your sake, because you need them, but then you need to be growing Christian friendships because there are other people who need you. There are folks who need what you have to offer. And so sometimes you pursue friendships because you have a need that needs to get met, and other times you pursue friendships because someone else has a need that you can meet. 
Okay, and now when we see this, I mean, Jesus didn't just choose them, but he actually invested in them. You know, there's a, another place in Mark where it describes the same situation. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, it says this, And Jesus appointed the twelve, whom he named apostles, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and cast out demons. It's interesting that the first part of what Jesus did with these 12 was that he made sure that they were with him. He chose them so they could be with him. Jesus personally invested in these 12. He gave his time, he gave his energy, he gave his words, he gave his heart to these folks. He really invested in them. And it's interesting. Jesus didn't have a whole lot of time by himself. They were always around. It seems like the only place, if you read through the Gospels, the only time Jesus ever got alone seems to be early in the morning. He'd wake up early and go out into a wilderness place and pray. But even then, they would interrupt him. Even then, they'd come find, Jesus, we were looking all over for you. Where, where have you been? Jesus is like, all right, <laughs> devotion's over. <laughs> time with the Lord, over. Moms, you feel this way ever? It's really hard sometimes. I mean, not just moms, but particularly moms. I mean, it's hard to get time alone. And so Jesus invested. The picture that you get of the 12 is that these were Jesus' band. This was his band of brothers, his circle of relationships. And they were with him. They heard him teach. They heard him interact with people. They heard him in conflict. They heard him in good times and in bad. They saw him suffer. They saw him ridiculed and mocked. Jesus was training them by letting them live with him. That was Jesus' method. He spent time with them. And when he chose, there was a pattern to how he chose. Right? You think about, I hope what you're doing is you're thinking about, wow, okay, if this is Jesus' method, this is my method, right? I hope you're thinking right now about who is it in my life that I need to be making sure I'm growing my Christian friendships, right? Well, how did Jesus choose? It's interesting. The passage tells us in Luke 6, it says that he called his disciples. So he called everybody together, all the folks that were committed to his ministry. So all these folks, who he knew them already, okay? He knew where they were. He knew what they were. He, he knew about them. They were from his larger group of disciples. And then he prayed. Look at verse 12. He went out in the mountain to pray, and all night long he continued in prayer to God. And the image here is that Jesus knew that his choice of the twelve was one of the most significant things that he was going to decide to do. And so he spent time praying, and he prayed all night long, seeking God, seeking his Father in heaven, asking God, who shall I choose? And so for us, it's the same way. Think about the people that you know. You want to think about your circle of existing friendships. Just think about the people that you know. What we're aiming for is, what is the group of people that you are going to grow your Christian friendships with? Okay, think about that. Who do you know? Who's here in the church? Maybe it's someone in your community group. You know, you meet during the week. You know those folks a little bit better. You want to think about that. And then you want to pray. You want to go to the Lord and ask Him, Lord, 
who is it in my life that you would like me to go deeper with? Lord, is there anybody in particular that I should pursue a deeper friendship with? Maybe it's going to be, you, you want to think about what are my needs? Like, what is it, where do I want to grow? And what kinds of people could maybe I have in my life that would help me grow? Ask the Lord, Lord, where do you want me to grow? Put on my heart. Is there something I should be thinking about in terms of growing personally? Maybe it's I'm getting ready to take another, another step in the stage of my life. Maybe I'm going to get married. You know, maybe I'm changing jobs. Maybe I'm looking for, I mean, just whatever it is in your life. Are there, Lord, is there somebody that you want me to pursue a relationship with? Because I can, they'd help me grow in this area, right? And then you want to say, Lord, who's out there that maybe there's something going on in my life I could help them with? Is there anybody in my circle where if I went to them, I might actually have something that I can offer them, some wisdom, some experience with you, right? You want to think through that. You want to pray about it. And, and as you think about that, look, you don't have to have 12, <laughs> okay? I was thinking, like, could you do that? Like, Jesus' method, all right, come on, let's get 12. And then, and then there's going to be three within that group that you get really personal with because Jesus had the extra three, the Peter, James, and John, those three sort of within the circle of 12 that got to do some extra things. They, they saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus particularly brought them up there. Jesus brought them in to see a healing done that nobody else got to see. I mean, so... In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying, he specifically told those three. So even if you think about a wider group, in that group, you want to make sure that you're going deep with some folks. So if you want to take a shot at the 12, uh, more power to you. That's a lot of folks. So maybe you just want to start with two or three. Okay, maybe you just want to start with two or three. I mean, it's up to you, like different gifts. Um, some of you have shepherding types of gifts so that you can handle a lot more relationships. Some of you are more extroverted, so you can have more relationships. Some of you are freaking out because I'm even talking about relationships, you know, and you're ready to go home and just read your Bible and lock your door, right? Because you, you're just reading those passages and talking about what you do in secret, God rewards, right? Not with other people. So you got to make sure you have some relationships in your life. I mean, think about two or three. Lord, what is it about me? What do I need to grow and who can help? And then, Lord, how can I help others? Okay, you want to be thinking about those, those friendships. And then you need to actually choose them. Okay, Jesus actually chose them. He didn't say, all right, in my head, I'm thinking about you guys special. He actually chose them and called them his apostles. Okay, and so for us, that means that you need to ask them. You need to go to these folks and you need to tell them that you're interested in going deeper with them. Okay, you need to make a commitment uh, about what that's going to look like. And again, I know we're busy. I recognize that. It could be that you are exchanging emails. Like you're talking about like the very service level, right? Well, what's the next step? Maybe you're just sharing email prayer requests and you're praying for each other, right? If you're doing that, that's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Maybe it's getting together for coffee, right? Every other week, once a month every week, depends on your schedule, right? Where you're getting together and you're saying, hey, this is how I'm doing. Here are the areas where I'm trying to grow as a Christian. Here are the areas where I'm struggling. You know, I mean, it starts off here and then it goes deeper as you build trust and your, and your friendship deepens, okay? Um, maybe if you're in a community group, maybe your community group would say, 
you know what, why don't we group up as a group, you know, and have a portion of our time maybe once a month where we split up into smaller groups. Where we go, you know, go in pairs or, or threes and we break up and we ask each other how we're doing more personally. Because sometimes, I mean, community groups are absolutely wonderful. They're, they're, they're fabulous for so much, but sometimes it's harder to get real if you're in a larger group. So maybe community groups can break down a little bit smaller during a portion of your meetings. And so... Um, but that's the point. And, and we need to realize that even for Jesus, it's crazy because you see, you know, you look out into the, the world, and this isn't true just in the Christian world, but in all the world, and there's, there's these famous people, right, who seem to be wildly successful. And when you think about Jesus, you think, oh, man, wildly successful, right? Change the world. And yet he spent time with 12 people. For Jesus, it was relationships that made the difference. What Jesus decided was, I'm going to invest in these 12 folks because I know they're going to have to take, o- they're going to take over when I'm done. And that's what we want to think about. How can you help build someone else up? How can you help make disciples of others? The way to do that is through relationships. Okay, it's, it's growing Christian friendships. And so time spent is key. Um, one of the folks from Uptown had this, and I thought this was insightful. His name's Kurt. He said, it really takes three interactions with someone each week to feel like you're walking step, step in step with them. He said, you know, you see them once at church, that's good. You see them at community group, but it takes that third step of connection to really feel like you know what's going on in someone's life. You know, and I thought that was good. And whether it's on the phone, whether it's an email, staying connected, it's, it's time spent that's key. It's time spent. So here's a great quote from a famous preacher, Francis Chan. So um, he said this, what church was supposed to be was a bunch of people that were spending their days out making disciples, trying to get other people to follow God. And they got so beat up and they were struggling so much, they just naturally would gather together and they'd have this fellowship, this bond where they would bandage one another up and then send each other back out. That's what we're talking about here. Life can be hard. It can be challenging. Sometimes life is not challenging at all. It's so easy that you lose sight. You sort of fall asleep to what's really important, right? And so whether your life is good or bad, you need these Christian friendships to help you stay on task. And so Jesus was personally invested with the 12. We need to be personally invested with our circle of friends, okay? Second point is that Jesus personally served the 12. Okay, now we're looking at the John 13 passage. You know, this passage is famous um, for good reason. There's churches that actually practice foot washing because of what Jesus does in this chapter. Um, and, and it's hard. Uh, it's hard to really grasp the significance of what Jesus did in the first century. Um, the only people who would wash feet back then were slaves. Okay? Nobody would wash someone else's feet. That's what you had slaves for. The slaves in your household, one of the things that you delegated to them immediately was when they come in, you wash their feet. Okay? And so this is what this was the activity that was reserved only for slaves. And what's crazy, and so for Jesus to do this was shocking. 
it was shocking. And it wasn't like they saw Jesus washing the disciples' feet and they thought, oh, that's cool, wow. (laughs) That's not how it was. They saw that and they thought, yuck, what in the world is he doing? I mean, it's kind of one of those things that makes them think, wait a second, like, is this... This is not cool. This is humiliating. This is degrading. I'm not sure if I want to have a discipler. I don't want to have a rabbi. I don't want to have a leader who acts like a slave. Do you understand that? I mean, it's hard to enter into that. Um, but John wants so bad for us to get this that he actually slows down. If this were a video, this is John going into slow motion. Okay, because what he does, he slows down and he captures it bit by bit by bit. If you look at verses 4 and 5, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel. He tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I mean, there's no punctuation back in early Greek. There's no bold. There's no underlines. There's no way to like cause things to stand out. And so you slow down the activity. So it's just, it's like, whoa. You see everything that Jesus is doing. And, and if you're reading this and you feel like maybe you're reading it for the first time or you're, you're acting like it's the first time, you're saying, he rose from supper. Okay? He laid aside his outer garments. Well, that's weird. And he took a towel. So now Jesus has a towel. And he tied it around his waist. Hold on. Wait a sec. So there's Jesus standing in a loincloth. That's how servants and slaves are dressed. And he's got a towel now around his what? No. No. Really? And he pours water. Oh my gosh, he's going to do it. Oh, I mean, that's the kind of shock that people would receive from hearing this story. Like, you don't do that. That's what slaves are for. And yet, here is God acting like a slave. Because that's what his friends needed. Jesus invested in these relationships, but he served in these relationships. He served people. I got an email that absolutely blew my mind from someone who goes to our church. This is what it said. On the way to church several weeks ago, I saw one of our harbor folks, this is somebody else talking, I saw one of our harbor folks at a table at Starbucks looking across the street. He was in distress and very sad. When I went over to see him, I noticed he was watching a man in a motorized wheelchair hung up on the curb, stuck teetering because his disability didn't allow him to look directly down and the battery on his chair was too low. And this guy was stranded for a while. The harbor person who saw him got up, took the man to to church, But instead of going to church, he took the man into the bathroom. For the next hour and a half, he cleaned this man's body from head to toe. The man had not been tended to for four days. 
At one point, I had walked into the bathroom and I immediately left due to the stench. But for a brief moment, I saw this deformed, shriveled, paralyzed, and naked man being ministered to by my friend. He was removing encrusted fecal matter from his body. And during this time, he had the man's scooter charged up. So when he was done, he drew him a map to get him where he needed to go. And then he said this, while we listened to a sermon on the meaning of the miracle, the healing of the cripple at the pool of Bethesda, this friend was the miracle of healing for a crippled man in San Diego. And as I saw him, I saw Christ. Father, it is really difficult for us to imagine some of these things. We read about them over and over again. We need your spirit to press on our hearts what Jesus was willing to do for us. And in some ways, Father, this story about someone from our own family, it really strikes us because we can identify with that. God, would you teach us Would you show us how we can serve each other in this way? We can really care about each other's needs and minister to each other to be a miracle to each other. Amen. You know, you think about that. What would motivate someone to do this? I mean, it's one thing to help the guy up, right? He's teetering. You get him back on the curb. You send him off. You did a good deed. You feel good, right? You go to church. Lord, here I am. Look at me, right? I mean, bring him to church, sit him down. You know, we got room for him, bring him in. And yet, how far are you willing to go to meet someone else's needs? What would motivate someone to do that? What would fill somebody up with such a desire to sacrifice like that? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's this passage it's understanding what jesus was really doing then that what he was doing wasn't cool it was humiliating and yet he did it anyways but even more than that i mean the person that we just heard about as i mean has received the love of jesus they've experienced something far more than foot washing i mean as shocking as this was this story points to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made. He didn't just come to wash our feet. He didn't just come to act like a slave. I mean, you think about those seven actions that John lists in those two verses. We could translate them and say them this way. Jesus actually also rose from his throne in heaven. Jesus laid aside his own glory and came to earth. Jesus took on human flesh when he got here. He became one of us. And then he fastened not a talib on his waist. He fastened himself to a cross. No water poured out of Jesus, but his blood shed so that your sins could be forgiven. And he washes us, not just our feet, 
but like Peter said, our head and our hands and our whole bodies. And he continues to wipe us clean every single day. When you've experienced that love of Jesus, that's what moves you. That's what makes you willing to sacrifice. That's what makes you willing to invest in friendships. I mean, how small does that seem now in light of what Jesus has done for you? And yet that's what he calls you to do. Your second priority is to invest in Christian friendships. And the only way you can do it is if you receive the love of Jesus, right? If he is filling you with his love, that's where it comes from. That's where your love comes from to invest, to sacrifice, to spend the time. So Jesus was personally invested with the 12. He personally served the 12. And then he personally taught the 12, our third point. He personally taught the 12. This is interesting. This is the second part of uh, of John 13. He begins to explain what he says. He says in verse 12, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his outer garments, resumed his place, and then he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? He begins to explain. And what he does, he says a few things. First, he says, you need to follow me in this, right? Verse 15, I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. So he says, I'm not only doing this because I love you, although I am. but I'm also doing this because I'm setting up for you an example that you should follow. This is the kind of love and willingness to sacrifice and even be humiliated that you should be willing to do if you've received my love. And it's interesting because in this explanation, he changes their view of God. Okay? I don't think Jesus is saying here, you think that this is demeaning to wash feet, but you're wrong. It's not demeaning. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is saying is, This is demeaning. But what it means to be God is to do things that are demeaning if it means showing love for others. Do you understand that? It's affirming, yes, this is demeaning. Yes, this is below what most people would do. But if you peel back who God is at his very heart, lies an impulse to serve to the point of being demeaned. And so if something is, if you think something is beneath you, all the more reason to do it. Jesus says, if you do this, verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. Not because doing demeaning things is cool, because it's not. It's really not. It never, ever feels like cool to do this. And if it does seem cool, if other people think it's cool, guess what? It's not demeaning anymore. Does that make sense? Now when we wash feet in church, you know, it has this aura of a religious activity that wasn't there back then when Jesus did it. Okay? I'm not saying it's bad to do that. I'm just saying that, like, that when it feels demeaning, all the more reason to do it because here's the blessing that you get. When you do something that is sacrificial for someone else, when you sacrifice your time, your energy, your anything for someone else, 
to put someone else's needs ahead of yours and to meet those needs, at that moment, you connect with God. You are acting just like Him. At that moment, you, in a sense, become one with Christ. And you are living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, God humbles himself, humiliates himself for you. Follow me. So that changes their view of God. It changes their view of themselves. And then what's interesting is that Jesus then strengthened their faith as he personally taught them. Jesus knew they were going to be rocked. He knew that the betrayal was coming. He knew the crucifixion was coming. He knew that it was going to mean that they were all going to be rocked. Their world, the rug ripped out from under them, them head over heels, tumbling into the bliss of black oblivion. That's what they experienced as Jesus was betrayed, tried, and crucified. Their meaning for life was over. Jesus knew that was coming and took steps to try to help them, to try to prepare them. Verses 18 and 19, he says, He says, I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus takes God's word and brings it to the present and applies it. He says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe. So Jesus is using the word of God to help apply them so that they would be strengthened when everything fell apart. And this is what we do when we follow him. In our, as we grow Christian friendships, what do you do? Well, as you get together with people, as you talk, as you deepen your friendships, you deal with real life, not just the good stuff, but deal with the struggles. You got to understand and apply God's word together, right? That's what you're doing. What about God's, what does God's word say that might impact this situation, right? Do you know any verses? I got one, but that's all I got, and it doesn't really help. Do you have anything? Let's pray together. Maybe if we pray, you know, I mean, that's what you're doing. Again, it's word of God and prayer, right? For you personally, for us together. God's word and prayer. Uh, that's what gives us the strength that teaches us. Just as Jesus taught the disciples, we need to teach each other. This is what it looks like. We personally invest. We personally sacrifice and serve. And we personally teach. We try to find out what from God's word will personally impact your life my life as we work together. To not do this, okay, to, to say no to what we're talking about here, to say no to Jesus' example here, investing, serving, uh, teaching, to not do this, it's to isolate yourself. Okay, it's to isolate yourself. What you're doing is you're building walls, you're either growing Christian friendships, either increasing the amount of influence that Jesus can have on you through others, or you are walling yourself off. Okay, because even not doing something is isolating yourself. Do you want to live that way? Do you want to be alone? 
You don't have to be. I mean, not in the church. If nothing else, we're a family. I mean, this is where relationships happen. The problem with isolation is that (laughs) it gets worse. The darkness gets darker. The loneliness gets deeper. Depression sets in. And the major problem is that usually when you, when you begin the isolation process, you don't intend to end up alone. You just intend to protect yourself from someone or from something. But what ends up happening is that when life falls apart, you have nowhere to go. There are no relationships to catch you. Is that the road? I mean, is that the road that you want to go down? I know some of you are holding back. For some of you, you're completely just cutting yourself off from relationships. Like you come, but then you leave. You come, you leave, and there's no personal investment. There's no relationships at all. And with still more of you, Again, some of you have areas of your life that you don't let anyone into. You know, so that's kind of, we're real good at this. You know, some of us get good at, we're connected, we're relationally invested. We got these areas of our lives that nobody gets into. And you still feel that same despair. You still feel that same isolation because you know it's there. You know it's there. What ends up happening I mean, it's interesting because if I were to tell you, look, there are actually, I counted this week, there are 13 of you who are isolating themselves. 13 of you are cutting yourselves off from relationships. You're all wondering who it is, right? That's how the disciples felt, actually, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. Nobody knew. Nobody knew about Judas. And in a sense, he's the picture of isolation. (laughs) Because what was Judas' problem? He thought he had the whole thing figured out. He thought Jesus was a fraud, right? And so he betrays Jesus for money. But then when he realized what he'd done, he had nowhere to go. He went back to the losers that bribed him in the first place. And they were like, we don't want you. We got nothing. We, We don't want your money, nothing. We don't care about you. And he went and hung himself. He committed suicide. Why? Because he had no friendships. He had no relationships that he could go to. Boy, the gospel tells you that Jesus is always available to you. Okay? That Jesus is always willing. He shows how much he's willing by washing our feet, but more than that, right? By giving up his own life for you so that you could be forgiven. You could be justified and adopted into God's family. That's good news. And he puts you in a family of people where, because if you're like me, there's times where, okay, I know Jesus is there, but I need a hug. (laughs) Right? I know Jesus is there, but I need someone to look me in the eye and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're going through this. I need somebody to pray with me, somebody just to listen so I feel understood at least, right? That's the joy of community. And that's what Jesus has saved us to be, is to be a family for each other so that none of us have to feel isolated, so that all of us can press into community, can press into community. 
if there is someone here that has made a positive difference in your life since you've come to Harbor, when the service is over before you leave today, would you go tell them? You would be surprised. I mean, as I think about how many of you have encouraged me in different ways, like, I can't tell you how long that list is. It's a lot more than whatever number I said a minute ago, 13. Um, and so that kind of thing is a good step. So if you can today, as, you, you know, as we leave, just grab somebody and say, hey, you know what, you've made a difference in my life. I th- I'm glad that you're here. Or I really appreciate your positive, I mean, whatever it is, you can come up with the words. I mean, just thanks for being part of Harbor. It's made a big difference. Or I like seeing you when I get here on Sundays. That would be huge. But that's the beginning of it. It's just, and then we got to take those relationships and go deeper. Okay? Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. And we are so grateful that you, boy, you show us what love is. And Jesus, we so badly need your word because we would never come up with this kind of stuff on our own. We need you to show us, to teach us, so that we can shape our lives to share the love that we've received from you. Help us to do that, Jesus. I pray that you would help relationships in this church to go deeper, that more of us would feel more connected. And we pray that you would draw even closer to us as we observe the Lord's Supper. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.